Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Geekscape Book Club. Very excited to begin this journey with all of you. Hi, I'm Christian Blatt, and uh, we are going to talk about a great story from the many years of comic books that have been collected over the years, Batman Year One. I am joined by, down below, Michael Shirley. Oh, hey, you guys. And down over there, uh, Caitlin Cornell, the Hi. Cornellable herself, and of course, the... Grand Poobah of Geekscape himself, Jonathan London. Uh, I believe that's on your business card, Grand Poobah. Yeah. I mean, when I had business cards. <laughs> yeah. What's well, a digital business? I had a lot of that D- Digital stuff. business card. Yeah. So uh, now it's just, now it is literally just an Instagram handle, is it not? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do we, do we do that business cards or do we just share like socials? No. Yeah. It was a, it was a major oh. plot point in an episode of Star Trek Picard. So, uh, and that's set in the year 2024. So in two years, they're going to come back around. That's what it's Star Trek. Me. Okay. A business card? Uh, well, Q has a business card, but that's for another show. Uh, right. Let me explain very quickly what the concept of this show was. I'd wanted to do it for a while. Ever since my friend uh, Jeff Winstead, a comic book writer and creator and also an author, he just out of the blue sent me a trade paperback of Crisis on Infinite Earths because he'd known I had never read it. And I'm like, this is great. So I sent him back Kitty Pride and Wolverine because I knew he'd never read it. And uh, we just started talking about it. And I was like, great, we should do a show like this. So this is an idea of books that three of the four of us know we should have read, but we just never got around to it. And the book in question is Batman Year One by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. And uh, three of us read it for the first time. And uh, Jonathan, I understand that uh, you have read this many times and it is a favorite of yours. Yeah. Three of us had friends growing up and one of us didn't. So no, don't be like that, Jonathan. Don't gatekeep and say comics are just for nerds. They weren't. They aren't anymore. Yeah, I definitely um, did not yeah, have I've... friends. I was just too busy reading reading <laughs> the lead up to Inferno over in Marvel. So Yeah, and you're overestimating <laughs> like me at that age too. Yeah. This was uh I, I think ultimately it just comes down to age. And this was when I was getting into comics in the late eighties and then early nineties. Um, this was one of the big books that started like the whole, you know, big groundswell of comics, comic fandom, you know, by that time, uh, 1986 really is considered the magic year in comics in a lot of ways. You have Dark Knight Returns, you have Watchmen, but you also have Mouse. So the indie publishing was happening too. 1986 is a pretty legendary year and it'd be hard to top if you start thinking about like what the most important years in comics are. 1986 is going to be in your top three arguments. I I definitely agree with you, despite the fact that it was the year that Marvel brought us the new universe. It was still really important, despite (laughs) the fact that it was the year that brought us Star Brand and Kickers Inc., (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, the main reason I haven't read this or hadn't read this before was because I was mostly, I was really almost exclusively a Marvel guy. I read some of their licensed properties, but I never, every time a Batman movie would come out, I would read something, but usually one or two issues and then I'd kind of forget. So I just, that was why I had never read this. And it just, for years I knew, I'm like, well, of course this is great. I mean, Frank Miller, David Mazzuccelli did the Born Again run on Daredevil, which I've told many people to read that, uh, and especially when uh, the Daredevil series started on Netflix. But uh, let me ask you, Kate, why do you think it is that you got this far and hadn't read it until I said, hey, do you want to do this new show with me? <laughs> um, I didn't have a local comic book shop near me that I could easily get to. I grew up in Los Angeles and <laughs> people from L.A. are like... <laughs> You know, you have to drive everywhere. So I could, there was no place walking distance where I could just go and hang out and read comic books. And it took me years to be like, wait, there's comics at the library? <laughs> that's child abuse. I think your parents, that's parental neglect. I think your kids can be taken away from you if you don't take them to comic well, stores. I, I survived but, this far, but it was fine. But, <laughs> but I, really, I, it's the, the lack of the spinner rack. I would actually argue that, like, you're younger. So, like, when Christian and I were kids, They'd, we'd go grocery shopping. There'd be a spinner rack in the grocery store with comics, yeah. and that's how we'd get comics. So you're you're right. Like if you don't have a comic book store, it's, it's and they rough. had comic yeah. books in Walmart when I was a kid. Um, I'd say like the mid '90s. Like at that time, they they had comic books kind of everywhere. But that was back when they were overprinting. You know, too. And here's the other thing: is when I got into like comic books. I, I read most I read Marvel, but I was the one that was into like anime and manga. So I was reading like, sure. you know, I, I was reading Jap everything that was coming out of Japan. So I kind of missed a lot of DC, except for the movies. Like I, I kind of just went to comic book movies to get my comic fix because I was reading all, you know, I was into like Gundam Wing and I, I was into all those other, you know, I was into the Japanese um, manga. So uh, this is coming into a, a very specific um american comic uh graphic novel world for me so this is very fun yeah i mean and definitely you know sort of the age that i am basically by not buying these issues when they first came out because i wasn't a dc guy well then it meant well then you're not going to read them a couple years later they did collect them but that you know it w there was no choice if you missed an issue of something you're like well i don't think i'll ever know i don't think i will ever know what happened yeah. in, in uncanny x-men 177 it was years before i got that issue and got to see that you know not that much happened so uh this is why, like, i went to WonderCon yesterday and it's like i think that's why those all of the booths where you just have to like rifle through and like you get like all of the issues it's like i think people are like fixing their collections basically it's like oh I don't have issue 15 of 35. Like I have to go find it. And it's like, that's the kind of like joy of going to the comic conventions and getting all of the, yeah. Know, the, the and that's all they were back in the day. Like you'd have a holiday Inn with like a, you know, you'd, you'd have like the convention room and the holiday Inn, and it was just full of old dudes with their long boxes and you would just fill in your collection. And it, it, you know, it really wasn't until San Diego Comic-Con became San Diego Comic-Con that it turned into something that wasn't one of those conventions. You'd have stages with huge Hollywood performances and, and stars and things. But for the most part, I think when I was a kid, I'd ask my dad to take me to the comic convention. It was kind of like, mm -hmm. it's basically a, it's basically like a yard sale for a bunch of these old dudes with their yeah. own boxes. It, it was literally a holiday in for me. Granted, this wasn't a yeah. thing. Yeah, no, no, this wasn't an option. Uh, You'd be looking for single yeah. issues of that, yeah. and they'd be really it was priced out. Literally, for a, a holiday in in Wayne, New Jersey, and it's close enough outside of the city where they would pay one creator to take the trip and and uh, 
the most memorable, I got my Punisher number one, the ongoing series signed by Klaus Janssen because he took That's the trip out there That's to get paid. Cool. But and then the rest of it was just going through all the comics and getting the individual issues and uh, bootleg videos of things like the Star Wars Christmas special, you know, and it, and and then you go to Comic-Con now and you're like, well, it's not even remotely like that. <laughs> but you yeah. still I can watch X-Men Pride of the X-Men on YouTube yeah. now. And that was like that was one of those golden like that yeah. was one of the Holy Grail VHSs was getting the animated X-Men movie that was used as the pitch pilot for the Fox I have series. It. And it's like. Yeah, Michael. Ha- Michael has it. Yeah. Oh God, I'm an I, old I, I have it. So I have the arcade machine as well. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen it in I my garage. Like, the arcade machine. So, Michael, for you, it's kind of the same thing. You're qualified to stay on the Geekscape network. Michael. You're qualified. <laughs> to stay. You spent money on no the X Men. I vetted the other two, but you, you Michael's get the, awesome. You, yeah, you're getting a solid endorsement. But here. Michael, for me, it's probably it, it, your story is probably similar to mine in the sense that, uh, you know, you, lucky for you, you're a little younger than me, but also you, you always seem me. like more of a of a Marvel guy. Not that you don't like DC, but you read a lot more. Marvel. Christian turns into dust. Yeah. <laughs> it, lucky for you. Well, goodbye. It it all started equally. I started with comic book cards. And my dad was really into baseball cards. So we would go to these shows. We were going to the Hilton convention, though. Oh, excuse like, me. You no, know, no holiday oh, wow. in here in Memphis, man. <laughs> got, a, got a bougie convention. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he would go off and do his baseball card thing, you know, and I would do my comic book thing. And that's kind of how I got into all of this. Um and that that reminds me, uh, I, I gr- was late today. I made you guys late because I was grabbing this comic book, which oh, is my oldest Batman comic in the series. And it is in 1986. It's 401. So this one came right before the books we're talking cool. about today, right before the reboot. This is campy, campy, campy. Christian knows how I am with my covers. I got the second printing because this cover is so much better. Like, uh, and who are the creators on that book? Uh, to say, I on the cover. You don't. Have I, to open I it. will open it in a second. Yeah. and Tell you. Well, while you open it, I mean, it's kind of the interesting thing about this story, and you know, reading a little bit about it, uh, Denny O'Neill talked Frank Miller into letting him put this as four issues of the ongoing Batman series because he knew that that was going to help sales, which were not great at the time, and it came right after, came right after Crisis, so it made sense. Crisis. And Frank was obviously very concerned about like, oh, I don't want to get all caught up in the continuity, and he's like, well, this is the perfect time for you because you don't have to worry about it at all. And uh, it's just these four issues. And it's like, it's not even like it starts with issue 400. I love that it's just, eh, it's 404, five, six, and seven. And then it goes right back we to what room. it had been before then. But, it, and and that's kind of a, it's kind of a great thing that, it, you know, it, it isn't just initially released as like a really expensive trade paperback. It was just, yeah, get these four issues of Batman if you want to see the story of how it started. So that right. surprised me uh, when I first was reading up on there. Do we know who the creators are in that book? And tell us what issue it is for our uh, audio this listeners. This is 401. So this oh, is right. just like three issues before. Um, mm-hmm. Barbara J. Randall's a writer. Trevor Von Eden is the artist. Letterer John Costanza. Adrian Roy is the colorist. Wow. Dennis O'Neill's the editor. Uh, and yeah, it's really well, great. Yeah. It starts off with this lady getting her like throat slit from a necklace wow. she's wearing <laughs> that like 
have like <laughs> knives in it that just pop out and kill her. That's, and why, don't, why do you think I don't wear necklaces? The rest of it. Because you've read Batman 401 and you know what could happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I think it's this warning. confirms that Denny O'Neill definitely was begging Frank Miller yeah. at the time to be like, hey, dude, can you help me There's with the There's no books? better example of the fact that you just shared that, which looks like it's a it's a scene from Friday the 13th of the series. Oh. You know, for anybody who remembers that. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. So uh, let's focus on the Batman yeah, 1, though. And um, I'm interested in uh, sort of uh, going round, and I'll ask you first, Michael. So reading yeah, yeah. this story after all these years, what did you think, just overall big picture of the four parts of Batman Year One? Yeah. Um, you know, earlier you'd asked me about why I hadn't read it. Uh, I'd read little bits and pieces of it just because I was looking probably like a year ago into the Holly Robinson backstory and where she first came from. And that's how I had read a few panels from uh, issue one of this, or 404, I believe. Um, but reading through it, I I, li- I I liked it. It's like going back to like kind of where, I don't know, the feeling of Batman, the way I was exposed to it kind of through the Michael Keaton movies and just like this darker tone than it had. And, you know, referring back to 401, it is so campy. Like there are lasers and Batman like saves the day with a mirror. You know, I'm always joking on the Marvel podcast with Christian about mirrors and lasers and how you can like fight a laser with a mirror because of this book. And like, I, I, I adore the, the more campy Batman stuff from before. And, you know, I wish they would put out like a little side series like that. They, I mean, they kind of did with the Scooby-Doo Batman. That's probably the closest I'm going to get, but that just wrapped with issue 12, uh, like a couple weeks ago, right. but you know, it's kind of like going back home and reading all this. It, it really made me like question any feelings of like goodness I had for Jim Gordon. I'm like so Mm. angry, like by the end of this about everything that's happening. And I'm like, what does that detective have that Barbara doesn't have? Like, whatever. Like, I don't know. Uh, It it was, it really frustrates me. I think that's a, a, but they want it though. Uh, Totally a different take than you get on like the wholesome commissioner Gordon trying to like, do the right thing. Um, but I also um, really like the artwork around the Catwoman scenes. That's something I really loved. The colors they they used to show kind of her world. They were like purples and pinks and mauves and yellows. And it just kind of gave this like kind of a electric, more like vibe to when she was around. Um, yeah, and uh, I know Michael doesn't like to see movies in the theater, which I respect fully, so he hasn't seen the new Batman movie, but uh, the sequences with Catwoman, I think, were to me the things that felt the most like the most recent movie. And uh, I wanted to touch on the thing you mentioned about Jim Gordon, was because a lot of times Jim Gordon is held up as this saintly figure, and I loved the fact that he was this flawed, that uh, his, you know, He's he's not just staying out late while his wife is home pregnant, you know. He's he's actually uh, up to no good, as they say. So <laughs> I think it's a very interesting uh, character arc for him, and it's an element of him that I personally haven't seen uh, much of. Kate, what did you think when you read this for the first time? I really liked 
it felt like watching a movie because you, ha- you you don't start with the death of the parents. It really came with like him coming back and seeing what his town had turned into. I liked how visceral Gotham was drawn. Um, I the weather felt like it was coming off the page a little a, a bit. It was it felt grittier than other iterations, and even in some of the movies, it didn't feel like it felt like a real place. Um, and then when he kind of failed the first time at trying to fight crime is when you get the kind of flashback moment and then the kind of bat comes through the window and it's like, yes, father. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is weird that it's like his father is a bat ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I enjoyed seeing, it was the parallel of, of two guys coming into the city one is the, the prodigal son returning and one is someone who is, you know, has mixed feelings about being in Gotham. I know. And, and, and the, that Barbara had a place in the story, not just as like the pregnant wife at home, but like she didn't want to be there. This is not where she wanted to raise kids. So it already started with a marital conflict, which given what the, what Gordon Gordon's not a bad cop. He's just really tired and 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 at the end of his rope, and you get it from like the deep lines and in the faces of all of his characters, and they, I feel like they get deeper the further the story gets along. They just get like more and more black. <laughs> like I'm so exhausted. <clears throat> you get two men that are trying their best and learning from their failures, which you know, in the glossy you know, pre-crisis on infinite earths was not always the case. Um, and I like, uh, I see a lot of parallels to some of the films that have come out recently, more recently. Um, and I would, I actually read doing research for this was before Joel Schumacher did his sequel. He actually wanted to do this, this as a movie and he tried to do it. And then they're like, no, 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 we want a sequel. And then, like the early two thousands, he's like, "No, no, no, let's do this again." <laughs> right. So it's like I'm almost like curious, like what Joel Schumacher's take would have been. Well, whatever it would have been, it would have included nipples. But uh, I do understand <laughs> what you're saying. Uh, it's interesting. He's such. He was such a, a interesting guy, and the fact that it's like you come back to a story not once but twice. Yeah. No. No. He. Like, yeah. He certainly like, understood the, the value of it. Uh, Jonathan, yeah. uh, to me, it's very clearly, yes, it's called Batman Year One because it is Batman Year One. But what I wasn't expecting was to dive into Jim Gordon Year One and how much, I mean, arguably he's a bigger character than Batman is in most of the issues, you know, and I like, yeah. I, I found that to be such a great take. And, you know, one of the things that becomes immediately apparent, yes, the Matt Reeves, the Batman is very much based on this, but so is Christopher Nolan. And so is uh, Tim Burton. You know, it's really like, this is the well they keep going back to. And it's interesting because in this specific trade paperback, David Mazzuccelli talks about how much he loves Batman. And he tries to have people be like, you know, the, the sixties Batman series is actually not all bad. You know, there, there's something to it like that, you know? And I think that uh, reading that sort of perspective is like, you know, don't throw it all away just because this is cool. So uh, you, I know you reread this for this show. Uh, did you find mm-hmm. anything new this time that uh, maybe having just seen a, the newest Batman movie that uh, maybe anything that connected with you or is there anything different reading it this time? I think that every time I've read it in my life, um, you know, maybe it's just rose colored glasses, but you think that you take more out away from it. Maybe I took just as much away from it when I was 
12 than I do now, you know, at 12 times a few numbers. Um, <laughs> and I just, uh, what I love is there's not a word or a panel that doesn't belong in this book. And it's Frank Miller yeah. at his best, which no, no knock on Frank, but the discipline that it took to take to write this series the story it's just so carefully put together and you get the same thing with daredevil uh year one and you get the same thing with dark knight returns where it's like these are really well told disciplined for like stories and you don't really get that too much with subsequent frank like by sin city the monologue that he has carefully written here for both james and for bruce those monologues have now turned into almost parodies when you get to like Marv and Sin City or when you get to like the 300 stuff, it starts to get a little bit larger than life kind of in a, like a weird direction. And then obviously the sequels to Dark Knight Returns are crazy <laughs> and they're yeah. hilarious. Uh, so th this is really my favorite Batman story. And I like it more than Batman Returns or Dark Knight Returns. Um, I think that this is superior to Matt Reeves' Batman too. Like the Batman movie... Uh, when I heard Matt Reeves talking about how much he was basing this kind of on year one and the Batman's kind of year two, if you're thinking about the Batman, yeah. he's literally in his second year. The things that I miss the most when I watch the Batman is I miss Bruce and I miss, I miss, uh, you know, uh, Gordon Alfred. and, and I miss Alfred. I miss every, I mean, Batman is probably the least interesting character in Batman. Uh, Batman is the, the Batman is the tool that Bruce uses when nothing else is working and this is the comic where you actually see the death of an ideal for two men. You see Gordon come to the town. And he's like, well, I'm going to make the best of it. Like this isn't what my family wanted. I don't like this town. I'm going to make the best of it. And then Bruce comes back and he's like, spent some time away. going to turn myself into a nin super ninja. I'm going to go get, <laughs> I'm going to go figure out how to fight crime. And you see both men just start to stumble as they hold on to their ideals. And then they start to compromise. And then you start to see Bruce, become Batman because he's making mistakes as Bruce fighting crime and realizing he needs a tool to mask his identity. He needs a tool to strike fear, to give him a leg up on, on people that he's uh, fighting. You see Gordon start to sadly compromise his ideals as a, as a police officer because he has to deal with people who are completely corrupt. And if he wants to clean them out, he has to start playing by their game, which means cheating a little bit. And as his, professional life starts to get compromised his morals start to bend because he's under so much pressure these are two men that are under pressure but i think right. the parallel of the two of them being uh told like like this is something that i really miss in the other movies where no offense to the batman if you love the batman please love the batman i think it's a really impressive movie it felt very narrow to me in that we were only really talking about batman and we were hardly even talking about bruce or gordon everybody was just kind of ancillary to this strict force of nature that Bruce had to create to be vengeance. And I, I do like by the end of the Batman that he's starting to open up and realize that Bruce is just as valuable a tool to helping that city than Batman is. And I'm excited for Batman too. It'd be awesome. But, um, but I think that's where parallels end. I became a fan of this book because obviously I was a big bat kid uh, when Tim Burton's Batman came out in 89. Like you couldn't avoid it. You know, you had the TV show on, Every day after school, you had the Prince music all over the radio, and you were definitely going to go see that movie opening day. And uh, and so you're going to pick up every Bat book, and the three Bat books that were huge in 1989 was you're going to get Batman Year One if you could find it. You're going to watch the, you're going to read the Dark Knight Returns, and you're going to see how they killed Robin. Oh, because Death in the Family was the other big storyline oh, that was going on right. in the late 80s, yeah. where they voted to kill 
a Robin. People people paid to call a nine hundred number because they wanted Robin to die so badly. They're like, yeah, that's worth fifty cents for each time I call. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a that that's a future show right there. I think yeah. <laughs> death in the family. Yeah, I, and I mean, just pop in a David Mancitelli's artwork of, is on yeah. another level. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, Jeff it- Winstead, who I mentioned earlier, the one who sent me Crisis as a trade paperback, David Mazzuccelli actually draws Batman like Adam West. It's particularly noticeable in the latter pages of issue two. But he also mentions that Richmond Lewis's colors on year one really stood out from the other comics on the shelf at the time. I reference his work constantly, wish he had done more. And uh, Jeff is a comic creator himself. One of the great things about this version of the trade paperback, I don't know about others, uh, is they show you how it was colored for being printed originally on newsprint and then how they went and recolored it for you know fancy paper like this and it's it just reminds me like seeing you know all the great stories that i read originally on newsprint that look beautiful now and in some ways they look great even when you read them digitally which michael i believe you read these digitally correct Mm -hmm. yeah so the you know uh, but none of us i don't think any of us actually you know sat through the the issues from 35 years ago and read it with the original newsprint coloring but so i went and found I, I just went and bought a new one because I was like, I'm not going to my storage unit and even getting like, yeah. I think I have five iterations of this sure. book just because every time I'm like, do yeah. I want to go into that garage, like that warehouse from the end of Raiders Lost Ark or do I want to just buy a new yeah. one, which will be so much faster and easier. But, uh, but by Jeff's point, I actually, I only see Gregory Peck when I read this. Like I see Gregory Peck. I had the same thought. He Batman. felt like, like a Clark, like, like a, like an old Hollywood mm-hmm. star. I, I yeah, I see. I see those chiseled jaw dudes, uh, and I actually think Dave Mastrocelli based it on Gregory. Yeah, he he Greg, says Greg, that yeah. somewhere. He based in it here. on Gregory Peck. Yeah, That's crazy. It's, and he looks it, it, like Gregory very Peck. specifically like this image right here. He he's talking about for our yeah our, that our visual was, yeah. listener, our visual audience. You can see mm-hmm. that, but yeah, Especially he he very he's much Bruce on the on the couch. Yeah, and there was an the, April the Fool's. Soda. Do you remember this April Fool's Christian where somebody said that Orson Welles wanted to do a Batman story? And he and he had done like a cast of characters, and it was like Cary Grant, all these different characters, (laughs) and and I think a lot of people believed it. Sure, but Orson Welles supposedly, after Citizen Kane, wanted to do a Batman movie, and this would have come out in like the '40s, and it would have had like Cary Grant and like all these classic actors in it playing the rogues and this and that, and Gregory Peck was going to be Two Face or Batman or other stuff, and it turned out to not be true, but it gave. Hollywood comic book nerds, the biggest fan boner <laughs> for like three days while people realized that this was a total sp- like joke. Oh. And Orson Welles had no intention of doing a Batman movie. But the what if that was running through all of our heads was like, holy shit, this would have been amazing. I think comic book professionals fell for it too. I, I've actually never a, heard this that. This is about before. 10 years oh my ago. God, that's amazing. About 10 years ago, this was a thing on the internet, and we were all jonesing for it. Like, <laughs> is this real? Here are the sketches. He has a cast notice. Oh my God. And then you realize, like, no, this is a this is a joke, and y'all fell for it because you're very excited that your comic book right. genre is now a, a, like a movie standard, whereas it wasn't up until Marvel made it a thing, yeah. right? Like even in the early '90s, like Tim Burton couldn't even make a thing. Yeah, you know? yeah I, mean. I think that year one for me, it I, I, I feel like they took the visual tone of this comic for the Batman. The weather, they even even the diner where he and Sarah meets is very similar to where they find the Riddler at the end. I think they took the tone of Gotham right out of this book, but I think the characterizations um, and the noir feel obviously. 
But I think the characterizations and even a lot of the like tools that, that he uses, um, I think those are more um, from Chris Nolan is what, who grabbed those. Um, the what, like how, how Bruce and, and Batman are kind of aligned and, and how he uses it as a tool. He still has a little bit of a, a rapport with Alfred, but what stuck out to me the most was when he started activating these, the, the ultrasound at the bottom of his shoe, which was, which was directly in Batman begins with all of the bats coming and, and kind of saving him. Um, I was like, Oh my God, this is from Batman begins. They just lifted it. Which is <laughs> which is such a great sequence, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but uh, that they even stole it from Morbius, the movie on screen, the uh, mm-hmm. the swarm of bats. So we're not going. Down we're not. Morbius. No, no. But I will yeah. mention if that. You, John, if you want to hear that? But I will mention. We just I will mention that Jonathan it, yeah. uh, did do a show a little bit earlier, uh, so you can find that over here on Geekscape eh. if you. Really no way, wanted. Jonathan did a show. <laughs> I did a podcast about something that most adults don't care yeah. about. Um, one of the dangers of this Batman year one being so genius is that exactly what we're talking about is this and Dark Knight Returns educated every Batman story for the last 30 plus years. And as phenomenal as this is, I think that is also my problem with Batman is we, everybody is still aspiring to do those two Frank Miller stories or the Arkham Asylum book, like those three or four stories that came out of late eighties. Uh, are still the the brass ring for Batman creators, and they are so good that people don't get away from them. And they have taken both filmmakers and comic book professionals in their you know event horizon, and they just don't escape from this story. It is it's it's that good that it turned into that. That being said, that's the danger of it is no one has really tried to veer back towards maybe something that like. Michael loves or I would love which is let's bring some fun back let's bring some goofy back I would love to see the Bat Family added to some of these cinematic films like like so that we can see positive hope different colors being played with in the Batverse and um, and again I'm trying to say that that is a testament to Frank Miller's year one and Dark Knight Returns but it is the danger we found ourselves now in 2022 that creators are still being like hey let's re-explore Batman's origin let's now let's re-explore the origins of the villains, you know, they just announced Paul Dano writing the Riddler year one story. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds kind of morbius to me <laughs> to be man. like, let's tell this, the origin story of a character without what he is a shade of, yeah. which is the main character. And so um, I would like creators to be like, hey, more creative. How do I swing wide of this? Yeah, I would like for them to swing wide of the Frank Miller stuff. It, it was beautiful in 86 and it was beautiful up through 96. Uh, but by 2006, like Caitlin said, like everybody had but done these yeah. stories and used them in their films and in their comics. And well, what, I don't know how to escape. That's it, it is bad. That's the perfect uh, way to transition to what I think is an important part of any of these stories that we'll be doing on this show is how does it hold up? by 2022 standards. You know, I think that uh, some books will read and they'll be very dated in a number of ways. This, I didn't feel like the story in of itself was, but you can't help but read it. Even if I had read it before, you can't help but read it with the knowledge of like, oh yeah, I've seen versions of this on the big screen. I have seen a lot of things influenced by this. Uh, Michael, reading this for the first time in its entirety, 
what did you think was different about reading it in 2022 or if you had read it, you know, sort of when it was new and, you know, or when you were first reading comics, what do you think is the biggest difference in reading it now? Does it feel familiar to you in any way, even though you hadn't really read it? Yeah, it, it feels familiar from the movies, you know, and yeah, Jonathan's really right. DC, I mean, you know, they love to beat a dead horse. Like, they just do. Uh, and I think, like, if they... Not that Marvel's innocent of this. Oh, Not that Marvel no, no, no. is innocent. Girl. Nobody's Marvel innocent of this. invented that. <laughs> we all do. Sure. Everybody does yeah. it. Yeah, don't get me started on Spider-Man. You'd think that was Marvel's only character. Um, we don't remember Spider-Man anymore. <laughs> the thing, the good news is they didn't start their cinematic journey as Marvel with Spider-Man because they could, because they sold him to keep the lights on. And so they were like, let's, let's do this Iron Man thing, I guess. That's all we got left. We just got it back from Artisan Pictures or whoever had it at the time. That's right. But, but man, when they got back that Spider-Man... Ooh, they started tapping that vein every week. Yeah. <laughs> Reading it, I, I in uh, today, you know, as someone who reads comic books today, and someone that read comic books a long time ago, uh, you know, I appreciate it, but there are certain things that really just kind of got to me. Everyone's going on, you know, about how the colors really great and i mean i i really do like the scenes with selena and the coloring in that but i also don't know that the printing technology was like really there to really do the justice to the kind of monotone vibes of that book you know and i mean i get what they were trying to do but it just didn't come off to me as um, dramatic as it probably would have back in the day uh, in like in 86 or well I would have been it was very much dramatic yeah right? yeah I would have been <laughs> not even a year old then so uh, all right show off but yeah but I mean it, to to tell this story in the confines of the you know the comics code authority that could get these stories sitting on the spinner racks on the shelves at Walmart. Like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, there probably were constraints that it wouldn't have been in if this had been an adult with a capital A graphic novel. Uh, But I don't feel like it really suffered. I mean, I've read plenty of great stories from the same era. I mean, this is the heyday of me reading practically everything that Marvel put out. And uh, you know, I I think that uh, they were given a, a lot of leeway and in in a way, I think it would have cheapened it if it's like, well, you know, we can have them swear. Let's have a little sex in it. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that we didn't go that far, that they told the well, dark story. Miller proved it would have cheapened it when he got to Sin City. No offense. Like some of the yeah. Sin City stuff's great. But by the time he gets to Sin City, all of those things, once he's working with Dark Horse and they're an indie publisher and they've, everybody's basically started to abandon the comics code, like he, they, he does the the brakes are off and the car is flying down the hill and saying all sorts of crazy shit. And you've got like, you know, nudity in every book. And, you know, those, some of those Sin City stories are great. Um, but I think the rest, I think that the, that the restraint that he shows in this, the discipline that he shows as a writer mm-hmm. is really good. I think that they carefully had to put every panel where it is. I think this is incredible. And 
Um, again, it's a testament that everybody's been ripping it off or borrowing from it for 30 plus years since. Yeah. Except Lego Batman, which is why it's the best cinematic Batman. <laughs> you are not the only person I've heard say that. When people were ranking all of their Batman movies after uh, the Batman came out, there were a few people that were Lego. like, Lego Batman number one. Uh, Kate, your point of view in terms of, you know, great story for its day. How do you feel viewing it in 2022? Uh, do you feel I, like it held up? Well, I think it does hold up. Um, I think people who like this character and are wondering and are, are curious of these, of these future iterations that are happening and the changes. Um, I'm also a huge, I'm a fan of, the, I'm a movie person. Like I love watching the films. And so it was really cool to see like a lot where the influences were coming from and, and how, you know, deep or just surface level they went with it. I think, how do I say this? I think in 1988 and 1989, especially after like the crisis of infinite earths came out like the end of the 80s was the end of the cold war and we were getting the iran contra scandal and and a lot of corruption was coming out of um was coming to light in a way and and you were getting this weird like the political landscape in america and in the world at the time was 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 it was on a precipice a little bit because things were about to end and I feel like it influenced this book and it, it in the, the mind, we can't really take this comic book, even if it does hold up out of the time that it was created in because it, it, it was influenced by the world around itself. And I think that in 2022, we're hitting a similar point um, of being on the precipice of hope versus you know, complete despair coming out of a pandemic. The world is, you know, climate change is now becoming a factor. We're seeing corruption in, in a lot of different aspects of our, of our, of our life. And, you know, what do we, how do we face it as our generation? Cause now we're about 30 years later. So we're another generation past this and, and how do we interpret the world? And I think coming back to, a comic book that tried to do just that um, I think is helpful. Um, and I think it, it does provide a little bit of hope. And this Batman from year one is the, like, all right, here's the tool. Okay. I'm, I don't know how to do this. Okay. I'm going to try this thing. Okay. I need to figure out how to fly. I'm going to make this thing. <laughs> and like, like constantly like re constant reinvention is okay. And it's safe and trying new things and failing is okay. Um, I think that that was my big takeaway from this comic book. Um, and it, it made me think about, like, I looked up, like, what were the major world events in 1988 and 1989? It was funny that when you started rattling off things like the Iran-Contra, and I'm just like, this is somebody who's read about this stuff in a history book, not had it interrupt their Saturday no. morning cartoons, you know? How dare when, you, sir? When my Saturday, when my Saturday morning cartoons <laughs> got interrupted by uh, what was happening in Tiananmen Square, I was very upset. I was Unhappy. like, no, but I want, I, want, I want to see animated Ed Grimley. Uh, but yeah. what, uh, what, what I was thinking about about it, you know, reading this 35 years after the fact, it, it's apparent there is a timeless quality to it because 
I wasn't sure. I'm like, is this set in 1940? Is this set in 1986, 87? Or is it set sort of in another time? And honestly, I still don't know what the answer is. And that means that they did a great job of telling the story because, Mm -hmm. you know, there weren't cell phones and things like that because, you know, now when something's set in the modern day, you see, you can see the technology is so different. Technology wasn't that different. Hookers didn't dress like that in the 40s. So I think you can... Not that we know. Yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. I'm like, this, this is where Michael accidentally betrays that he's a time traveler and uh, has spent plenty of time in the 1940s. No, I uh, just pay a lot of attention to clothes. And if you look at fair. Holly's outfit, I yes. would say that it's pretty much time and place. Yeah. It, it feels like 86. Yeah. You know, it feels like it feels like Reagan's yeah america and now you uh, know that being said i do agree with you christian that like a lot of the stuff with this with the storyline could be 1938 intro of batman and it could be 1940 batman but dave's david's artwork is so good in this message shelley's artwork is incredible um and just the design again like i'm just gonna keep saying the same things over again about how economic this book is and how every piece of every panel and every piece of every word in this is where where it should be um and that is why i like this more than dark knight returns even though dark knight returns sometimes gets the most praise and i think was more of an influence on tim burton going directly into his batman work um this is kind of the one that time is told is a little bit more of the batman blueprint dark knight returns is a fever dream at some time and I think that's great for people like Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher to have that fever dream influence their directors and their incredibly visual directors, but story directors who have that tight story, you watch Batman begins and it is a lot of year one and a really great way to, yeah. um, it's, it's just a fantastic well, piece of writing. Jeff Winston again with some real fashion. Uh, I didn't realize you were such a fashionista pleats on Bruce Wayne's pants are definitely eighties. So that answers it right there, but still the story does have kind of a timeless quality, which I think is great. And, you know, sort yeah. of what you're talking about, the timelessness, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the way that they make everything count within just a few short years, comic books would not be told in, in a very economic way. It would be, let's draw it out as much as we can. And in so- story is 12 issues today. Yeah. And oh, like easily. Yeah. Four tie-ins. Oh, yeah, that's true. There, there would definitely be tie-ins. And this would be the year one event yeah. for like seven months. Half the books are late. And you don't even know what the hell is happening. Yeah, unless I'm mistaken, I believe Kevin Smith still hasn't finished his Daredevil series from like 15 years ago. I think we're still waiting on the last issue of that. But I though not the one that he did with not the not the one that he did to, to launch Marvel Knights. Right, though, right. No, no. I think there's a different one. one that he didn't finish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but oh yeah, we forgot about that. <laughs> so one. did he. But that's the Sorry, but yeah, Kevin. and and honestly, it's next to the final uh, Game of Thrones novel. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's all going to come out the same yeah. day. But it's it People is like I just got to stay alive. And, and look, it's only don't. four issues, and they're able to do it in advance. But there are some great runs of great stories where, unfortunately, and it happens more often that you have to have a fill-in artist. And, you know, I think anybody that gets to be a professional comic book artist, there is a degree of talent that you have to get to hired. But it's very jarring sometimes when you reread some of these things and you're like, well, this one issue, you know? It's like you're just surprised by things sometimes when you find them. Like Jim Lee didn't draw the issue of Uncanny X-Men that was the first appearance of Gambit. It's just the way that the schedule worked, you know, things like that, that you kind of don't think of because you, when you think of Gambit, you think of the way that Jim Lee drew him. And in one, in the one hand, 
having a little bit more room to tell stories later was great for artists like Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee that really expanded. But I think that this story, you didn't want to do it. And the thing that really struck me about when I did read Crisis on Infinite Earths, you want to talk about cramming so much in there, George Perez making every panel count because he had to. And it was like still 24 pages an issue. And I'm like, I don't know how he did that, you know? Uh, so it's uh, it that's when it's always impressive for me to see. And yeah, you always have to look at it in the context of when a book came out for sure. But uh, I think George Perez is the guy who's like, how many characters can I put on this page? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in like that was his thing. Like he would just put characters on pages. and You're like, holy crap, this is insanity. It'd be like like counting the bricks in Jeff Darrow's buildings. All right. Like <laughs> right. they just like have so much detail And here. I think that they're playing with like this is. I think this is a relationship with Frank Miller that he takes on to work with Varney in the later Sin City stuff where he, where they're talking about negative space in a really effective way. They're working with Shadow. And then when you watch Matt Reeves and the way he was using just fully black or red framing for the majority of the space is just a massive amount of negative space um, with, a, with a dominant color or lack of color or all the colors if you think of black that way. Um, it starts here again. I hate telling that to people over and over again on this podcast. And trust me, every episode of the Geekscape Book Club will get better from here on out when I'm not on it. <laughs> but this is where it started. This is where it started, right here, near one. You know, yeah. I love the Denny O'Neill stuff. I love my gray and, and blue Batman. If you if you subscribe to Geekscape, you can hear me say that over and over again to Michael Uslan, who's like the executive producer of the Batman movies. Um, but this is it, year one. So, well, you're not going to hear a whole lot of difference of me on this opinion. No, but, uh, you know, that that informed opinion is actually perfect for the, the next question I'm going to have. So there is also a Batman year two. There is also a Batman year three. It's not the same creative teams. Are those worth exploring for somebody who wants to see more? There are some artists that I'm a huge fan of that are involved in those, but you don't hear people talk about them really at all i remember some of the covers for year three because i remember that robin was in it but uh for our our audio listeners uh i don't you can probably hear jonathan shaking his head actually you don't have to see it at that point just just jump forward to the long halloween and dark victory stuff which is funny because i long halloween is cool i have i have i have picked up the long halloween since i finished this because i know that that was the other thing uh that uh, he did but you but you'd read it no i have not read it because this is this is this is the fundamental starting point how would you like a comic book show on the (laughs) geekscape network i have read very little dc comics uh you stay out of this sir you're fired (laughs) that's fine all right (laughs) michael you got a month to bone up on some beef, <laughs> right, pal? He's got plenty. All he's right. got plenty in that house. Expect the package. Yeah, but uh, Kate, I know you only have a few more minutes, and we'll wrap up yeah. the whole show soon. But uh, I want to make sure that you get a I chance. Say. Well, we. I'm not going to send you away right now. This is not. Okay, this is not go to your room without dinner. But no. uh, get out. I want to make sure that uh, I start with you in terms of any sort of thoughts that we haven't covered. You know, as you were reading it, any anything. Um, you know, I think that the, there, there's a lot of things that you could look at this differently in 2022. And I was wondering if anything struck you that we haven't touched on just yet. (sighs) Nothing really struck me. I, I, the Selena scenes, um, I would, I, I would, love a reinterpretation and and you could definitely tell like that was probably the closest to the the matt reeves version of the batman is how they treated selena 
Um, and and when we were making when you guys were talking about like there would be twelve issues in a tie-in, I'm like that would probably be the Selena tie-in, and you'd go off and like you know have your have your moment with her because it was really this one was about the two guys and mainly it was mostly about Gordon. Um, um, but I would I think the, I think a, a modern interpretation of this would probably re-examine the women and give the women a little bit more of their own voice. Um, not just uh, Selena, but Essen and also uh, Barbara. Uh, I think that would be, you know, given given the climate of, of today and, and storytelling shifting of today, I think that would be probably be the biggest change if this if this were to come out this year, as opposed to 1989 or whatever it came out. Right. Well, that was kind of specifically, I guess I, I could have asked it more directly, but oh, I was God. wondering if that struck you, you know, because I didn't, I didn't want to ask too leading of a question because I was wondering, I'm like, cause I didn't read it that way. And uh, is, uh, is, is, is Essen a character that shows up uh, in other stories? I mean, because uh, yeah, we're getting like a so, so answer uh, from Jonathan because I wasn't familiar with her. She never makes a transition to the, the many adaptations that there have been. So uh, I, I, did I misread. I thought she left Gotham. Well, she did, she did in this story, but I, that didn't mean that she, she couldn't comes have, back to have Jim's back. baby. Oh no, uh, <laughs> Barbara already. You know, every comic creator does that. Like when the comic creator takes over a book, they're like, "Okay, what is in the past? What's the, what? What is the character that's been mentioned twice that I can bring back as a villain or something?" Yeah. And like that's that's how we end up with like the Goblin Twins and stuff like that, where it's like, <laughs> "Oh, great, you found this one throwaway line from a comic in the '70s." And now it's come back to be a 12 issue storyline that I have to suffer through. I would Why? actually do that. Like there's a part of me, Heidi Cox, who would make a short film about Essen leaving Gordon. Oh, and being like this stuff got way too in over our heads yeah. and this is insane. And you're married with a pregnant wife and now there's a rodent running around the city. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Peace. We're good. I gotta go. Flying. Well, let's, yeah, let's give uh, let's give HBO Max uh, some ideas here because uh, there's room uh, on that platform for the. Uh, what if she comes in as part of that GCPD series that HBO Max has coming up that you know, has to do with the Batman that's universe? True. Come on, let's HBO. have Essen in there. Yeah, because there were no women in that Gotham Police Department in, in uh, the Batman. You're watching the Batman and you're like. This is why you're so damn corrupt. It's just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> I mean, but the, here's sitting the around thing, their poker Selena table trying to that. figure out how, like, in the movie, yeah, Selena she says, says it. that. It's yeah. like, and then kisses Batman anyway. Well, I would. <laughs> okay. Well, see, look, there's the answer. You would. <laughs> so when he was like holding her to like keep her quiet, I'm like, just hold me till the pain goes away. <laughs> like, let me nuzzle against this weird, hard. You wouldn't be like, I can't armor. breathe. I can't breathe. So you you smell like X body spray and leather. <laughs> so, uh, Kate, we'll let you go in a moment. Uh, same question that I'm going to uh, ask uh, Michael and I'll share my thoughts. Uh, fundamental question for all of these books that we're going to do on this show. Would you recommend this to someone? And specifically, would you recommend someone start? Like if you want to read Batman comics, this is a great place to start. Or would you just recommend it in general, Kate? Me? You mean yes. me? Or her? Oh. What? No, I'm asking Kate. Oh, okay. Because yes. Kate needs to leave. Yes, I would. And then I'm going to ask you, Michael, but I'm going to ask Kate first. Yeah. Yes, I would. Okay. I would recommend it. That's. And yeah, I would do. I would recommend it. If you like Batman, if you like the idea of reinterpreting a character and wanting to know where all these freaking movies are coming from, I'd read it. 
Yeah. And if you like Frank If you're not Miller, interested, I'd probably still read it. Yeah. Well, like uh, like Jonathan said, if you want Frank Miller at his most disciplined, this is a place to do. Well, uh, Kate, we look forward to uh, seeing you uh, again on this show. And at the end of this show, I'll let people know other places I where they can I still have find... a few minutes. You're all right. Hey, I, I, we'll, we'll wrap it up in a moment. Um, you see, notice. So now it's like, why does he keep trying to get rid of her? Uh, but uh, he wants to start the corrupt Gotham City Police Department. For yeah, Geek's like, I'm trying to turn this. I'm trying to turn I got this jacket and everything. Yeah, I'm trying to turn this into the frat party that is the GCPD, and yeah. somebody That's keeps uh, raining on our City parade. Michael, would you recommend Batman Year One? And is it a good place to start for someone who wants to start reading Batman comics as opposed to just seeing the movies or TV shows? Or that issue of 101, yeah. 401 that you got. <laughs> or, yeah, would, would they do better to start at 401? I would recommend this to anyone that's reading like a current or ongoing Batman series who wants to know, oh, you know, where should I start? That's the person, probably the only person I would recommend this to. I know Jonathan's really, 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 really in love with this series. Um, I have real problems with the last issue, um, but I don't really feel like you're learning a ton new from this if you've grown up watching movies or animated series or just have a general knowledge of pop culture Batman. I would only really recommend this to a probably like a younger you know, teenage comic book reader that wants to catch up. Okay. Yeah, I think it's been pillaged mm-hmm. so much that the only appreciation you can have at this point is in the telling and the craft of it. But you're right, Michael. Like it's just been it's been told so many times in those different iterations. Yeah, there's there's so many old movies that you can recommend to people where you have to say like, look, it's been ripped off so many times that you have to remember that this was first. And this is, I think, another one of those examples. I think it's great. Uh, I don't. My my son's six, so he's probably not ready for year one yet. But uh, you know, he knows the hookers. Yeah, that won't thing. be that. It won't be that hard. My, Michael, what 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 are your? Yeah, I was going to ask that the, actually. Yeah, this yeah, fourth issue. Did, yeah. I, I think I at some point I went on a rant to Christian about it when. And I told him I'd finish, but the <laughs> um, the last issue is so incredibly rushed. It's to me when I finished that, I felt like, well, this was supposed to be a six issue series, and they cut this short. It feels abrupt that like you barely got any Batman in it. Um, well, they're just like, okay, days saved. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And it's kind of like, well, that might have been more of an interesting story than Bruce stuck in a building for like two and a half issues. Like <laughs> it's like it's like one I, I, yeah he's like stuck in his chimney. Yeah. So <laughs> that's but he saves the cat. Yeah. He saves that the cat. Because I, I am yeah. a vegetarian. <laughs> um and Selena appreciates yeah. it too. She's like this guy may not be so I like bad. how she has yeah. all this cat, like all these cats to feed, and she's like, they are all. Oh, there's no way you're dating that woman <laughs> no. today. Yeah, like she's on an episode <laughs> and, of Hoarders. I, and yeah. when I was looking at that panel, I, I was thinking, I bet that apartment smells the way it looks on panel. Your place or mine? Or, place. Yeah, definitely, definitely Wayne Manor. Definitely Wayne Manor. Yeah, <laughs> like. But fucking Wayne Manor smells like bat guano, so they're both yeah, messed up. A, like, okay. You're, you're going to move to Metropolis. Which, which okay? poop like, do that's you want to smell? Um, exactly. Yeah. And I, I also didn't 
I, I found it ve- maybe it was because I was reading it digitally. Probably not though. I found it very hard to read Bruce's handwriting, which was like his text. Uh, but I will say in the same breath, I absolutely loved that about this book that they gave the characters kind of, well, the more main characters, their own kind of feeling when they're speaking. And I would love to see that more now. I feel like so much of the comic book world now is like tie-ins, 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 safe, 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 repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. It's standardized. We're just so over the top that we can just drop it and write it off as non-canon. I'd love to see more creative ongoing stories. I think Jonathan Hickman tried to do that. I don't know what we think of it. Uh, it was good for two Batman, two X-Men series for a stretch until they blew up into a million X-Men series. But yeah. I would say that Jeff Lemire did it as well in the most recent Robin and Batman. Not Batman and Robin. Robin and Batman is a three-issue one that he did with Nguyen doing the artwork. And that's my favorite Batman story the last couple of years was that just those three issues of Lemire telling a story about Dick Grayson being like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? <laughs> <laughs> and having to deal with Batman as he's trying to become his own kind of superhero. It's kind of been really cool. Well, we'll have... Uh, That's recommended. Yeah, we'll have one uh, final thought, but uh, Kate, we will let you go for real. Uh, people can find you at Cornellable, and uh, many times you can find her on the show we do on my YouTube channel, uh, Marvel Movie Talk, and that's the Black Cast YouTube channel, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You may get that plug again at some point. Uh, but Kate, thank you so much for one taking a homework assignment that I, I gave to you and then being a part of the show. It was very, very great to have you here with us. Aye, aye, Captain. I look forward to the next assignment. Yes, and uh, we will tell you, we've been asked in the chat, we will tell you what the next assignment is in a moment, but I ha- I can't stop the conversation without this this nugget from Jeff Winstead. So Essen and Jim Gordon get married in the late 90s. I, uh, I, 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 I withdraw any thoughts I had about wanting to know more about that character because I, I don't think I could be any less interested in that. But- it's Yeah, it's just that when new creators come on, they're like, what can I work with? Yeah. And the editor's like, here's some stuff that's explorable i i would always prefer fresh ideas every single time or else you end up with the goblin twins kind of it <laughs> and that was J- and that's j michael Straczynski, who's a phenomenal yeah. storyteller and it's i don't like, know these goblin hey, twins of which you speak oh Maybe man it's a good thing. it was like a small storyline where norman osborne went to had sex with gwen stacy while peter parker was in europe yes. during Did like she a know small storyline in this amazing spider-man she i i <laughs> It was a made-up story. It was I don't. It, I think they retconned it into not really even having happened, yeah. but it gave us two villains who were goblin-like and claimed to be Norman and Gwen's kids. And Peter's like, "What? Yeah. Norman F. Gwen Stacy? <laughs> it was it was a mess. It was a total should have let her fall mess. off that building, fall off the bridge. And that's a- and that's Jay Stray, Michael Straczynski, who's like one of the best writers we got. Yeah, and he's telling that story so like it just happens yeah it happens you gotta put you gotta knock these things out one month and they gotta be 
once a month and they're 22 pages long and you just got to make them and it's hard. Yeah, that's why. So you start writing crazy that's shit. That's why when the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie came out and they're like, how about Raza Ghul and Scarecrow? I'm like, yes, please. I know that they mm-hmm. then went to the Joker in the next movie and it was phenomenal. But I was so glad to like, yeah, let's get somebody that we haven't seen before. And please. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if if we one day are lucky enough to get X-Men stories, we can go ahead and have one without Magneto. That'll be fine. You know, he doesn't have to be in all yeah, we're of them. Getting X-Men stories. Yeah. I hate to tell you, we're getting X-Men stories with Magneto. Well, yeah, too, but, but, but we can get around to the ones without him. You know, it, it's just he doesn't have to be in all of them is really the point. That's right. And, uh, you know, I think that that's why it's fun to revisit stories like this and uh, just sort of see where it all tracks back to. And, uh, you know, I feel like there are so many Batman stories that I know are great. So I'm going to read Long Halloween long before I even consider reading year two. Uh, as much as I love Alan Davis. Um, but, uh, you know, if I really want to like Alan Davis, I can just uh, read some Excalibur. And, uh, you know, My- oh, hell Michael yeah. Michael knows that I'm right there, you know. with He's right there with me when it comes to Excalibur. So uh, a little bit earlier in the chat, uh, we had someone who goes by the name of Bolt that I actually thought was my last name, and I got really confused. No, Bolt T is a straight-up Geekscape yeah, regular. And he wants to know, for years. when is the next book club meeting? And when is the book? And I said, stay tuned. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, and I, I did let him know that. Uh, that alarm right there. I'm sorry about the sirens. Uh, I have to get myself in a rodent costume and go see what that's all about soon. But it's okay. We're wrapping up. Yeah, we're up. wrapping up and you can get trapped What's, in a building. Just, for a, little, a, and just a, a little So crime. On, uh, a little bit of crime in my city. Yeah, on Sunday, May 1st, to coincide with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, our panel We'll have read Jason Aaron's Doctor Strange Way of the Weird from 2016 uh, for the first time. I have not read that. Uh, I have read a number of newer books, um, but uh, that is not one that I've read. And uh, Doctor Strange, I am not going to lie, never a favorite. I... I read his ongoing book at one point and when they, uh, I was happiest when they split strange tales between Dr. Strange and cloak and dagger. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I can get like 12 pages of each of them, you know, once a month and, you know, visit with them then. But I've enjoyed the big screen version of Stephen strange and uh, I'm excited for the movie, even with its controversial uh, two hour and four minute runtime that, uh, we we have to worry about because uh, uh, Jonathan, I know you were talking about this earlier today that uh, reportedly Sam Raimi's cut was uh, significantly longer. So two hours and fifty minutes. Yeah. yeah, and then even you know, but that's a rumor. Yeah. and you know what? If we get a two hour four minute version that kicks ass, I'm solidly looking forward to that one. Um, you know, Marvel has not aired very many times, so I'm down. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and Bolt is uh, making a note of it. So that that'll be our story. And uh, I'm excited to read that as well. And, uh, you know, we'll try to pick stories. We're going to do the show once a month, at least for a while. And uh, if people like it the way that I want them to, we'll do it a little bit more often. But uh, we're going to try and tie into things that are coming out. So uh, we will uh, keep all of that in mind. But that doesn't mean we won't get back around to another Batman story, because honestly, Batman will be back in the news before we know it. Uh, But uh, until our next show. Uh, if you've enjoyed uh, seeing myself, Michael, and Caitlin all chat, we do do the show Marvel Movie Talk Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Yeah, Eastern do. on my Blackcast YouTube channel. And uh, Michael, if people want to keep in touch with you directly and talk more about the hooker fashion of the 40s, how do they reach out to you? 
Uh, you guys can find me at I hate Michael Shirley on Instagram and Michael X Shirley on Twitter. And uh, Jonathan, you're all over Geekscape. So if people are here, they know where to find you. But uh, is there is there uh, the one other new show you'd like to mention that uh, is part of the new crop, including our show? <laughs> I know that there's a very interesting uh, one that Matt's doing. I think Matt started a Weird Al Yankovic appreciation show with Matt from the band Weedus, who did Teenage <gasps> Dirtbag. And I look forward to listening to that. So I think you told me they're going to go have, song by song through yeah, his entire... They're going to go song yeah. by freaking song. So if you're a Weird Al Yankovic fan, or a Weedus fan, Weedus. Uh, or a Matt Kelly fan, yeah. well, you now share a network with uh, <laughs> one of the ho- dudes from Weedus, Michael. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, Michael, I never met you before we did the show, but I love having you on the network, oh, man. Thank you. Uh, I love having you on here. Yeah, it's been I'm great. And I'd love to see you on it. I'd love to see you on some of the other shows as well. Sure. Just hanging out. I feel I think of us as like a big family and I think crossovers are welcome and encouraged. That's right. Uh, you know, and it doesn't all turn out like uh like Teen Titans X-Men, but uh usually We can vote to kill Christian yeah. and have oh, a call in number. Uh, I, th- I think call, call in I think there this are, number to kill him. I think him, there are people in my house him. who might uh, spend the 50 cents to call. Well, you find <laughs> it's just like, it's just me me with a crowbar. <laughs> just me with a crowbar hitting Matt as the building's about to explode. Yeah. Uh or hitting Christian I would not hit. Me. No, no, no. Uh, no, I, I love this show. Uh, if y'all have any comments about Geekscape or anything, you want to reach me, it's just Jonathan at Geekscape.net is my email. And then obviously the socials for Geekscape and all that. And you can, of but, course, find yeah. me at Christian DMZ, Twitter, Instagram, and it is the Black Cast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. So uh, that's all the time we have for this week, but we'll see, or this month, we'll see you in May to talk Doctor Strange. But uh, until then, thanks everybody. And uh, we'll... <laughs> We'll see you at the movies or in the library, I guess, more appropriately. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.